Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program... Crossover day has come and gone in Georgia's General Assembly, and as to be expected, there was much debate over many measures, including online sports betting. I think we have to be very careful when we put things out to understand the consequences of what happens there. When we look at sports gambling, there's an addiction issue that's talked about. There's a lot of good things that we see from it, but there's also a lot of issues that are addiction. I don't get why it's wrong to let the people of Georgia vote on this issue. We're not little mini dictators up here dictating what the policy will always be. There are certain issues that we have a contract with the government, and that's called our Constitution. Now that's fellow Republican Senators Bill Costert, sponsor of the online sports betting measure, and Marty Harbin, who was opposed. The measure failed. We'll find out what other bills still might have a chance in just a moment. Also, later in the program, inflation, it's not the only issue that's a roadblock for those in the hunt for a new house. We'll talk about major corporations outbidding average home buyers and potentially breaking the law. I'll speak with Brian Eason, local government reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, regarding a special investigation series on corporate home buyers. And someone has to be the first, right? Well, we'll meet the owner of Atlanta's first black-owned plant-based chicken wings restaurant offering takeout and delivery. And yes, we have them here in studio. It's all ahead, but first, a check of these headlines. 23 individuals are facing domestic terrorism charges for allegedly attacking law enforcement officers and destroying construction equipment over the weekend that was at the future site of Atlanta's $90 million public safety training facility, as we hear, for, as we hear from Shemaine Cruz. All but two of those arrested are from out of state, including France and Canada. Activists say they were holding a music festival as part of a week of action to protect forest land within so-called Cop City, when a separate protest group began marching to the old prison farm site. Footage released by Atlanta police shows the group throwing explosives and bricks at officers. APD Chief Darren Shearbaum says no officers were injured. This wasn't about a public safety training center. This was about anarchy, and this was about the attempt to destabilize. The police shooting of environmental activist Manuel Turan in January brought the Stop Cop City movement to national and international attention after more than a year of clashes between protesters and law enforcement. Shemaine Cruz, WABE News. In other news, Delta Airlines is suing the Dutch government over its decision to eliminate tens of thousands of flights at, Am- at the Amsterdam's, at Amsterdam's airport, as we hear from Jim Burrs. Delta isn't happy at the decision to shave 60,000 flights a year. Officials say they need to do that to cut down on noise pollution residents near the airport have to live with and to reduce carbon. The Atlanta-based carrier is suing, claiming it's already investing billions of dollars to meet global targets on decarbonization. Joining Delta in its suit are KLM and smaller airlines from Turkey, Germany, and the UK. They claim the government's decision is unnecessary and a violation of national, European, and international laws. Delta and KLM fly four times a day from Hartsfield-Jackson to Amsterdam-Schiphol Airport. No word if any of those flights would be affected by the cuts. Jim Burris, WABE News. And from the airways to land... Auto parts maker PHA says it will build a multi-million dollar facility 
in Savannah to provide supplies for the massive Hyundai megasite nearby, as we hear from Emily Jones. Hyundai's $5.5 billion site will build electric vehicles for the car company, as well as the Kia and Genesis brands. The move was one of several announced recently by Governor Brian Kemp, who has said he wants Georgia to be the nation's top EV-making state. Georgia has given significant tax breaks to car companies to build their facilities here. Recently, lawmakers celebrated Rivian Day at the Capitol, touting that EV maker's planned multi-billion dollar facility in Georgia, even as it hemorrhages money from recent financial losses. PHA says its facility will employ around 400 people, with operations set to open next year. Emily Jones, WABE News. A new school voucher bill has passed the state Senate, keeping its chances of becoming law alive for the remainder of the session. Now, the program would let parents use $6,000 of state money for educational expenses, including private school tuition. Supporters say the measure expands choices from it for families, but opponents like Democratic Senator Derek Mallow of Savannah says the program would mostly benefit private schools here in Metro Atlanta. Are we going to help the children who are the most vulnerable and need the help or the opportunity? We say we're here for rural Georgia colleagues, but this bill isn't in favor of rural Georgia. Mallow said rural students have fewer private school options than Atlanta students. The bill will now advance to the House. Now, there are many bills that did not advance on crossover day, but one never knows because lawmakers are there. They're a crafty bunch. Let's welcome WABE politics reporter Sam Greenglass to tell us all about it. Yet another eventful crossover day. Hey, Sam. Hey, Rose. I'm on my second cup of coffee. So if that tells you anything <laughs> about how last night went, that should be your key. Well, this was your second uh, This was your second time covering the Georgia legislature on uh, crossover day. How, how'd you do this time? So I was just trying to tally up the number of bills that passed in, you know, a 12-ish hour span yesterday, and I'm getting somewhere around 125 bills. Uh, Got going around 10 after we get through all the pageantry, really get going around lunchtime, and then I think everyone wrapped up around 1130 last night. Wow. Let's get to some that were really, you know, we every year we talk about this sports betting, gambling. It got a lot of attention this session, but didn't make it, as I just mentioned. What happened? So early on in the day, the Senate first took up a resolution that would have taken this kind of different path to legalizing some forms of gambling, and that would have been with a constitutional amendment. And that failed to get the two-thirds votes needed in the Senate to move it ahead. So that died a pretty early death in the day. But then, you know, the most likely avenue that we thought to having some kind of uh, online sports betting legalized in the state would have been House Bill 380. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that was on the House rules calendar all day long. But as we're sitting there checking off bill after bill on this bingo like list of of bills, this one never got called up. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, we got to the end of the night and it was one of just a couple that that never came for a vote on the floor. And we asked uh, Speaker Burns about it uh, and he basically implied that it it didn't have the votes. Wow. Now, Sam, there's a pair of companion bills on restricting local zoning ordinances, one of which cleared the House. This is House Bill 514. Tell our listeners about this one. So this is one of a handful of bills that lawmakers have introduced this session to try and do something about the skyrocketing cost of housing here in Georgia. Uh, You know, we had one that passed last week that provided some basic protections for tenants. Uh, This bill that passed yesterday, 514, is kind of narrow. It deals with single-family housing specifically, and it basically prohibits municipalities from doing moratoriums on new single-family housing uh, beyond 180 days, uh, with some possibility to to renew that. And this did get some pushback uh, in debate in the House, Mm -hmm. uh, especially when it concerns areas that are seeing tons of new development really quickly and might not have the schools and roads and other infrastructure needed to handle this new housing. Uh, But the sponsor, Representative Dale Washburn, who has spent many years in the real estate industry, basically said, you know, as we're attracting all this new, these new jobs and investment in the state, we have to have the housing to keep up with it. And if we don't, it kind of shuts off communities to this potential economic development. Yeah, and single family zoning is such a, it's a, it's a hot, hot button issue for sure. I want to talk about a bill that cleared out of the Senate 
regarding electric vehicles, EV, because obviously, you know, and, and Governor Kemp has said he wants Georgia to be the EV capital of the world, or at least the nation, I'm not sure. But this has to do with how drivers pay for public charging, right? Yeah, so basically we're in this moment right now where electric vehicles are becoming more widely adapted, but our laws and rules and regulations haven't really caught up to, to you know, be able to regulate this industry. And so these bills deal specifically with how you charge an EV. So instead of as it is now where you pay by the amount of time you've got mm -hmm. your car plugged into a public charging station this would allow businesses like convenience stores to charge by the kilowatt hour so that actually the amount of energy that you're using mm. and it also paves the way to eventually create a framework for how to tax uh the electricity that you use to charge your your ev uh because right now the state basically is able to keep up its roads and bridges with money from the state gas tax mm -hmm. and uh, state officials are worried that if that money starts to disappear and EVs become more widespread, there won't be funding to, to keep up uh, all the infrastructure needed for both electric cars and mm -hmm. regular old cars. And yet again, not a measure dealing with the, the tax credit that so many people want brought back. And, you know, there was a study committee on EVs, so I imagine, you know, this is one set of bills that we're seeing lawmakers look to get done this session, but I don't think this is the last session we're going to be talking about laws related to electric vehicles for sure. Mm, Sam, I want to turn now to two bills related to banning certain types of treatments for transgender youth. Now, one passed the Senate, but another did not. Let's talk about Senate Bill 140. Got a lot of passionate debate about that one. Yeah, so kind of all throughout the night, there was this talk amongst reporters and lobbyists. Will they, won't they, will this be brought up? Uh, you know, there was some backroom dealing going on, uh, vote whipping of votes happening. And finally, in I'd say, you know, the last half hour that the Senate was in session, sometime after uh, 1030 p.m., uh, this came up for a vote in the Senate. What it would do is it would ban most forms of gender affirming care for, for kids. Um, this would be uh, hormone replacement therapy, surgeries, and it attracted some very passionate debate mm -hmm. on the floor. Uh, you know, State Senator Sally Harrell, who uh, was at the forefront of efforts against a bill last year that would have restricted trans kids from playing school sports. She's the mom of a trans kid, mm -hmm. and she spoke very passionately about the implications of passing this measure. Uh, in the end, it did pass. And... Uh, I will say it still needs to go over to the House side. Mm -hmm. uh, Speaker Burns was asked about whether he is interested in taking up this measure, and he didn't really give us an answer yesterday, saying he needed to look more at the bill and hadn't paid much attention to what was happening across uh, the Capitol in the other chamber. So mm -hmm. it's a big if whether uh, this will move forward, and I'm sure there will be lots and lots of lobbying uh, to try and stop it. Uh, as we get through the rest of this session. And in Senate Bill 141, the votes were not there. Right. Uh, th these were two very similar bills. 141 went a little further in dealing with puberty blockers specifically. Uh, and uh, 140 was the one that made it out of committee, not 141. And here's one that caught the eye of, of a lot of, of my, one of my producers here is this House passed a bill, House Bill 364, that would bring changes to how the state compensates folks who were wrongly convicted. Now, we've had measures before that dealt with actual compensation, but this is a little different. What's this one about? Yeah, this is kind of a sleeper bill that wasn't in the, the list of bills that I'd been paying attention to throughout the session because, you know, there's so much. But at the same time, so many things are being passed that are actually really important. This bill uh, has come up a few sessions before. Uh, and what it does is right now, the process for uh, approving compensation for someone who's been wrongfully convicted in the state of Georgia, they come up as individual resolutions where you have to vote on them one by mm -hmm. one. And the sponsor of this bill pointed out that often that happens at the very last minute before signee die. It's kind of this ad hoc process where lawmakers, you know, don't even have time to really dig into the cases that they're looking at. And for the first time, this would create a formal review panel made up of five people. And their job would be to consider these cases, to consider who qualifies uh, for compensation and how much it should be. So this would be a, a really big step in, in adding some formality and structure to how this process happens instead of kind of seat of the pants, uh, you know, passing individual resolutions sometimes at the last minute. And we've had this happen before where they have Pat, they, they've come up with a solution by having committees or a commission, but then sometimes that takes a while, sometimes almost a year 
to get going, but we'll see where this goes. I want to wrap up with a set of bills you talked about the last time you joined us, the election bills in the Senate. Now, including that amendment to ban the absentee ballot drop boxes, uh, where do we stand now with these? So one of these two bills was passed in the Senate last week. That is 222, and that deals with the funding issue specifically, uh, restricting local election offices from directly accepting grant money to help fund their conduct of elections. Uh, that has passed. 221, though, this one that includes these provisions making uh, ma- more mass voter challenges more likely and also the, the ban on drop boxes, uh, that did not get a vote on the floor. Though this is one of those ones where we'll be watching closely because that language could be pulled out of that bill and inserted Mm -hmm. into some other election bill. So definitely something that we will be watching. Which has happened. So listen, what's next for lawmakers? It's that it's that big day. (laughs) Yep. So I think by my count, there's a little more than 10 legislative days left. The session wraps up on March 29th. Uh, so it will be a final race to sign you die. You know, all these bills that have now passed one chamber, they still got to pass the other chamber too. And oftentimes they still need a committee hearing. Then they need to get on the rules calendar and then they need a vote. So we're, we're really getting down to the wire where there's not a lot of time left to do all this work to get bills done and to the governor's desk by the end of March. So we will be uh, keeping our seatbelts on uh, as we get through these final days of session. All right. Sam Greenglass, WABE's politics reporter, one half the duo of our dynamic. Well, we have a lot of other reporters, but the main ones that cover the Capitol, you and Raul. Thank you so much for taking the time. And folks, you can check the status of even more bills on our website, wabe.org slash 2023 bill tracker. Sam, as always, thank you so much. I really appreciate you. Thank you, Rose. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Take two. Here we go. Does this sound familiar? How many offers did you put down? 30. She was offering full asking price, if not more, but kept losing out to all cash offers. And while Tony doesn't know who the buyers were, the Atlanta area is one of the hottest markets for large financial firms, often backed by private equity, that buy up and rent out single-family homes. They're very aggressive. Their offers come in all cash. They come in sight unseen, so as soon as the house hits the market, they, you got an offer from them, okay? Um, and they're ready to close within a few days. Mm. That's an NBC News report from over a year ago. Guess what? Not much has changed. And a new investigative series from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution laid it all out. It detailed the methods used by corporate home buyers to take hold of the real estate market here in Metro Atlanta. And how many homes are we talking about? Well, since the 2008 Great Recession, more than... 65,000 homes were purchased and converted into rentals by large investment groups. So let's learn more with Brian Eason. He covers local government for the AJC and is one of the reporters that worked on this investigative series. Brian, welcome. Appreciate you coming back. Thanks so much for having me. Let's let's start here. Our listeners may be saying, what? What? How does this happen? But let's back up. When we're referring to a corporate home buyer, and there could be a lot of folks, so if you hear a name, don't send me an email, but Who are we talking about? These are large firms, out-of-state corporations here? Yeah, so, you know, one thing we we do want to make clear is when we talk about investors buying houses, it's not not your neighbor that has a couple investment properties. It's not flippers, right. It's Yeah, it's not flippers. It's not even your mom-and-pop landlords that have been making money off rentals forever, right? Like, these are very large corporations. Uh, many of them got their start with, with private equity funding. Some of them are still owned by private equity, um, but some of them are are now publicly traded. Uh, some of the big players are 
groups like Invitation Homes and Progress Residential and American Home Homes for Rent. Um, so they're they're very large, predominantly out of state. Some of them will have have foreign investors as well. Why did you all? Or let me back up. How long did you all work on this this investigative series before you were ready to to publish it? So we worked on it for for about seven months, um, and actually, the, one of the big impetuses for the series was there was this Atlanta housing forum where they were talking about about this very issue, um, and they had done some some mapping showing uh, the severity of the problem and as mm-hmm. well where it was concentrated, which was very heavily in African American neighborhoods, um, and we thought that it was uh, time for us to to take a deeper dive into it. How many folks worked on this, Brian? How many journalists? Oof, <laughs> I could not even yeah. I could not even tell you. It was over ten. Um, there were four four reporters, uh, as well as one uh, one lead data journalist that were kind of the the main folks. But it was it was quite a few people around the newsroom. I want to back up for a moment because one of the main findings out of this series is this. I'm going to quote you all here. Quote, state law prohibits landlord registries and companies frequently because they hide behind obscure LLCs, close quote. But this is different because how are corporate home buyers then using this to their advantage? What's the difference here? Is there some loophole or are they actually breaking the law? They're they're not breaking the law, uh, when we say that they that they hide behind it, they might tell you, "Oh, we're not we're not hiding, right?" They they're going to say mm-hmm. that they're not hiding. But the problem is, if you're a local government and you are trying to find someone to respond to a problem, right? Like maybe the roof is falling down, maybe the, there's a renter who doesn't have air conditioning all summer, which mm-hmm. is one thing that we found. Um, when when you or I can't tell who owns the company because it's in a shell corporation that's mm-hmm. registered in one state, but they're actually based in another state. And maybe that shell company has changed hands two or three times. It just really makes it hard for local governments and, and renters to respond to problems in, in a timely manner. Were you all able to discover if there were some Georgia based or Atlanta based entities that might be backing some of these companies uh, it sounds like you had to do a lot of unraveling here. We did, yeah, and you know there there are some there are some large firms that are actually actually based in Atlanta. One of them is a, a company named uh, named Sylvan Homes, I believe they they're Atlanta based. Um, and we also found that you know there are some of these groups that are publicly traded get funding from from public pensions right mm-hmm. and so we found at least one school school district where their pension actually invests in some of these companies which you can see could be a problem right if yeah. you're a school district and your teachers can't afford a home but your pension system is effectively giving them giving them money to kind of continue continue purchasing housing and you all mentioned that let's be really clear the the demographics of some of these areas are, are tend to be black and brown communities black communities here um perhaps maybe low income areas is that the case Brian yeah it's it's lower income and and I'll tell you one of the biggest reasons for that is that this the large single family rental industry really got started in the wake of the housing crisis, mm-hmm. right? Um, that was kind of the first moment that, that private equity was like, okay, we're going to, we're going to buy a ton of homes all over the country and we're going to rent them out. Well, we all know that Atlanta was hit very hard by the housing crisis. Mm-hmm. We all know that that black communities were targeted by predatory loans uh, leading up to the housing mm-hmm. crisis. So, so there is some, some logic to it. Um, Another another reason for it, though, frankly, is that in a lot of African-American communities, homes are genuinely undervalued, right? We know there's mm-hmm. discrimination in, in the assessment process. We know that Black homes are worth less than a similar white home. Because um, that's how they're appraised. You're not, you're not making it. That's not a statement. You're making that's that's how they're appraised. That's not your personal. Statement. Correct. Correct. And like studies have found that it, it leads back to discrimination, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you, and, and so, so if you're a, if you're a large company and you're using an algorithm to buy, to buy homes, what do you want? You want homes that are, that are at a discount that you can buy and make more profit on. So that's, that's part of what's happening here. Were you all able to speak to any of these corporate home buyers, these corporations, or did they send you the thank you, but we're going to pass? 
I've gotten a lot of those emails. Most of them sent me, uh, thank you, we're going to pass on a conversation. They have sent me, you know, a few statements here and there. Uh, I was able to speak with um, the uh, industry group, uh, the National Rental Home Council, which Mm -hmm. um, a lot of these companies are are a member of. Um, And their response by and large was, was, look, you know, Atlanta has, has a supply problem. There's not enough housing in Atlanta. They are absolutely right about that. Uh, We have... I think we have all covered over the last several years, just Mm -hmm. the affordable housing crunch and how we need more, we need more housing uh, in this area. Um, But the industry's talking points around, well, we don't really have that many houses nationwide. We don't really have, you know, we're not raising rents, that type of thing. It doesn't really hold true in in a market like Atlanta, right? Uh, They say that they have 2% of all the single family rental housing in in the country, Mm -hmm. right? We found zip codes in Atlanta where they might have 20% of uh-huh. all the homes, period. Uh, there was a period where these uh, large investors were buying one out of every three homes for sale for, mm-hmm. for close to a year. Um, that's a very sizable amount. It is. And Brian, I'm curious, were you all able to determine that perhaps there was a, a community or entire subdivision or a region or area that, you know, more than 50% or a high percentage of those homes or rentals that were being operated by these large corporate home rental companies. Yeah. So we, we ran into, we into some issues of like with our data, but we, there have been other, other researchers who have, who have tried to tease out, okay, we know that these homes are rental homes. And so what percentage of those rental homes do they have? Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, there have been other researchers that have found, you know, some companies might have more than more than 50% of mm-hmm. the rental houses in kind of a, a school district or zip code. And these areas, West side, Southeast, Southwest Atlanta, big time. It's yeah. I mean, it basically makes, makes a ring around really around kind of the wealthiest parts of Atlanta, right? Like mm. what we found is that they they buy in uh basically all but the all but the richest areas. Uh we had one realtor say, you know, they they put in cash offers on everything that's under five hundred thousand dollars. Um so it's it's concentrated kind of uh kind of in Wait, what we would think uh, of as let me make sure I hear <laughs> they're able to put in cash offers on anything under five hundred thousand dollars. And I'm imagining probably at least maybe ten minimum ten thousand dollars above asking, maybe if they want to be fair. Yeah. yeah, a lot of times, yeah. So what what some realtors have told us is so first they come in at asking, right? Um, you'll get uh, automatic offers right at the asking price, five, ten, twenty of them, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're an individual competing against that, you know you've got to go back, you've got to like work on your finances, you got to bring more money to the table. Mm-hmm. Then they come in with 10,000 more. Then they come in with 20. And if you're the more. seller, you're like, I mean, yeah. I mean, I've heard people say, Rose, I don't want to be part of the problem. I want to be part of the solution. Yeah, I'm not judging anyone. You know, if someone comes in and says, no, no, let me give you $25,000 more than what you're asking. So let's, let's flip this then, so to speak. Are the rental prices that I imagine that they're not exactly affordable depending on whom you ask in that particular neighborhood because it attracts a different demographic. Yeah. They're, they're typically not what, you know, they're certainly not what the federal government considers affordable. When we, when we think about affordable housing, Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of these rents are not affordable to someone making 80% of the median income. A lot of the rents are not affordable to someone making right at the median income. Mm -hmm. Um, there was actually a congressional study that looked at, um, you know, who can afford to rent from from the largest mm-hmm. firms, and um, it was a small share of the of the ho- houses owned by these by these companies that that actually were affordable to someone making below the median income, mm-hmm. which is which is most renters. Like, let's 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 be clear. Like, when we talk about the median income, that's the average person, mm-hmm. and we know that. Most of the people below that average are going to be renters. Absolutely. What is next for you all in this? Is there more to follow up on that you need to go back? Were you able to get everything that you wanted? And what's been the response? 
the response has been has been pretty overwhelming. I mean, it's been uh, number one. We've heard from so many so many residents that are are going through this themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Like they try to buy a house and they just get swamped by cash offers. Um, we've heard from more and more renters who are going through problems when they try and rent from one of these companies. Um, as for what's next, you know, I mean, we're going to continue to uh, try and highlight problems where we can, you know, with the goal of making sure that policymakers are, are really aware of what's what's happening in their mm-hmm. community and kind of what the results of of our of our state and local policies are. Something else that was just very interesting that popped out to us was that you know some of these corporate investors, home buyers, whatever you want to call them, purchased more than sixty five thousand homes across eleven counties. Wow. 65,000 homes, Brian. It's uh it's it's a big number. Mm-hmm. Um and it it and you think about like if you're if you're a mom with with kids or you're a dad with kids and you are trying to move somewhere, right? Like you're limited in where you can go. You've got to stay in your school district. If there's nothing else in your school district, what are you going to do? It's left people without without options. Yeah. Listen, Brian, as from one from one journalist to another, I understand the importance of investigative journalism. This is what the community relies on. We thank you. And of course, right here in WABE, Stephanie Stokes, Stokes has done a tremendous job as always, too. Brian Eason is a local government reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, part of the team that worked on an investigative series into corporate home buyers in Metro Atlanta. Brian, thank you so much. Take time. I really appreciate it. Good investigative thank you. piece. Keep it up. continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Apologies for taking so long because I I, I, I was eating. And um, yeah, I was eating. Here we go. Po' boys filled with fried cauliflower, barbecue brisket made of jackfruit. These are just a few twists on traditional meat or seafood-based meals, right? But they're vegan dishes. And according to Bon Appetit magazine, it's a growing trend among black chefs. Now, I want to be really clear. Vegan eateries here in Atlanta is not necessarily new. We've addressed this before on Closer Look, so y'all don't have to send me an email. But what may be a first here in Atlanta is this. It's from Numdi Arinzi. He's the founder and owner of Vegan Wangs, not Wings, Wangs. And the first, and we we fact-checked this, so we think it's true, the first black-owned plant-based chicken wings restaurant here in Atlanta they do takeout and delivery. We're going to learn more about his journey in just a moment. Numdi, welcome. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Um, I just sampled, and I'm just going to say, yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, I think you had the jerk already. I had the jerk, and, and that's the... That's the buffalo. Yeah. Yes, that's the buffalo. Let's begin with the beginning, because I read where you said this, quote, being vegan limited the number of establishments I could eat I could eat at, and it was about being creative, which my mom was superb at. So I feel the backstory here deals with your family, how you were raised, and I'll let you take it from here. Tell us about it. It is, yeah. So I was raised, I'm from Atlanta, native of here. I've traveled around a few times in my life, um, but I was raised here. So I was raised vegan in the 80s when I was veganism or vegan establishments was pretty much non-existence. I can think of probably two that I can recall, and one of them I was affiliated with. Mm-hmm. But um, even outside of that, my mom made sure that um, we ate a certain way. 
Um, she's very health conscious. Mm-hmm. Um, so pretty much that's when tofu was king. Yeah. And people used to laugh at tofu when I was growing up. I used to make tofu. Well, I used to take tofu sandwiches to school. And sometimes the kids would take my sandwiches and run with them or just just joke around and just make fun of me. Yeah. But um, I'm glad I'm on Raising the Way She Did because I'm approaching 50. And people think that I'm 35. Yeah. And it's, but diet is key. And you, your roots are through Nigeria, from Nigeria. Yeah? Yes, my roots are Nigerian. Nigerian. Um, my father's Nigerian. Um, but I was I was born here, but my roots are Nigerian. I visit Nigeria probably around every mm-hmm. three to four years, I would say. And um, I plan to go back this year. But um, those are my roots. You said mom was creative. How creative did she get? Um, Like, did you have a favorite meal? So the meal that I, I associate with her is probably my favorite not to, I kind of um, borrowed that meal from her and I kind of changed up a little bit. She made an amazing tofu and rice dish. Yeah. And it's serious, very serious. Tofu, rice, carrots. Um, um, she was creative when it came to different alternative proteins. Mm-hmm. Um, seitan and gluten was one of the things we used to um, eat every so often also. So that's actually what the wings are based on. They're wheat-based. Wheat-based? They're wheat-based, yes. So... Wheat is the base, and from, from wheat, so wheat pretty much is made up of two different things. It's mm-hmm. made up of um, starch and gluten. Mm-hmm. And once you take and remove the starch from the wheat, you're left with the gluten. And that's pretty much um, one of the things I was used to eating when I was growing up. What do you think people, or through your lens, what do you think is the biggest misconception about eating, if you want to call it a vegan diet and, and focusing some in email or, or being vegan, what do you think people often they get wrong about it? Um, people who, I guess the naysayers, they associate veganism with blandness. Mm-hmm. You know, that's changing now. But traditionally, veganism is associated with, um, twigs, um, rice cakes, things like that, you know? Mm-hmm. So in 2023, um, that is still the case with some people, surprisingly, you know, with all the technology and uh, resource that we have today. How often do you get the question, listen, Namdi, how do you... I need protein. How, how do you, what, what's, your, what's your protein supplement? I know, you, I know you get that question probably a lot. I do get that question, yes. Protein, you can get protein from a lot of different sources. Mm-hmm. Um, beans is one main source of protein. Mm-hmm. Um, you can get protein from rice, um, a lot of different things. You can get protein from um, even vegetables. There are vegetables that have protein in them. Mm. I'm a, I love black beans. Right. And I've, I've had black bean burgers, and they are just outstanding. Right. Let's back up a little bit because, you know, we folks love chicken wings. I mean, you know, this past Super Bowl, I, I, they do love those wings were everywhere. That's true. What made you decide, you know what, I'm going to make that the staple. I'm going to make that the focus of my restaurant. So partly, um, that's a two-part answer for that. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing, I didn't see anybody else doing it. Yeah. That was one thing. Um you know, uh, what's the quote? Mother is the uh, necessities of mother invention. Um, also, I used to live in New York at one point in time in my life. And when I was in New York, I would venture over to Philadelphia. So Philadelphia has been very progressive um, in regards really? to vegan food for years. Philly? Philly, yes. Home of the cheesesteak. Wow. Yes, exactly. Um, Philly has its own little swag when it comes to a lot of different things. Uh, I think fashion, vernacular, but definitely vegan food. Yeah. So... I'm willing to, to say you can walk in probably to any vegan or any restaurant in Philly and just find good food. Mm-hmm. So I was in Philly a good, about a good four or five years ago, and I had the most amazing, first time in my life I had vegan chicken wings. Yeah. No, I'm sorry, let me recap. I have had the soy wings before, but I've mm-hmm. never had wings that were um, wheat-based. I think these had wheat and soy in them. And I told myself, I want to do this in Atlanta. Yeah. I knew Atlanta was growing. I knew the mobility rate was very... Um, high and that's what i did i came back from new york and i started vegan wangs and since we, and like i said we have you know vegan and veg, vegan and vegetarian eateries but this is going to be you're just you're going to solely deal with the wings the wings alternative here and listen question from a listener but it was mine too the flavors because you know mm-hmm. i'm a lemon pepper type of woman <laughs> right right everyone's got that you got jerk you got the buffalo right. do you have any flavors that you've 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 sort of on your own said you know what this is going to be our our vegan wing, 
you know, are special to you. Yeah. So um, I have a garlic Parmesan, um, but that's garlic Parmesan has been done. Yeah. Traditionally. Mm -hmm. But um, the garlic Parmesan I have is is cashew based. But um, to answer your question on that, um, as of yet, um, we don't have our own staple flavor. But our flavors do range from buffalo, mm -hmm. Thai sweet chili, mango habanero, barbecue, um, garlic parmesan, as I said before, and then the jerk. Mm -hmm. But actually, um, we don't have our own staple flavor, but that is something that we will um, consider. I think you should have a Rose Scott. <laughs> something on there. Like, you know, because right. here's the thing. I, I like. I'm down with that, yes. See, okay. So, you know, I love lemon pepper. And I like the, the combination of lemon pepper and, and and hot, you know, like a little. So we do have that now. You so have a lemon pepper hot. We have a lemon. We have a lemon buffalo. You have a lemon buffalo. We do have that. Yes, that's one of our most popular flavors. I see. I I, just just we, rename it. Yeah, this, we, we write the that together. Yeah, yeah. What's been the the feedback? None the did. feedback has been um, overwhelming. Yeah. Um, I didn't know it would grow this fast. I knew it would grow. I'm yeah. I'm super. People have accused me of being overly optimistic at times. Uh, I'm oh, an entrepreneur. Go for it. Entrepreneurs should be. You got to believe in your product if nobody right, else believes true. in it. It's very true. Very true. So now and right now, you're just doing takeout and, and delivery because you you have a brick brick and mortar, so to speak, or don't have a brick and mortar right mm -hmm. now. But I'm actually looking for mm -hmm. one. So now you know somebody listening's gonna say, "Come on over here." <laughs> that's true. So currently, we do curbside pickup mm -hmm. and delivery only. But we work out of a ghost kitchen. But I have mm -hmm. people all the time who come to the um, brick and mortar to I'm sorry to the ghost kitchen when we're not there looking for us you know and um, that has been overwhelming also I have a listener says Rose can you please have him explain again what this consists of you said wheat and so the wings are wheat base mm -hmm. wheat is the base uh, no soy uh, people are familiar with the soy wings mm -hmm. and initially those the soy wings came on the scene years ago those I believe those um, came primarily from China. But I know there are companies now that produce those domestically in the United States. and um, But ours are strictly wheat. They're wheat-based. Mm -hmm. um, we do have some lemon juice in it just to um, preserve it and um, and salt. That's pretty much it. And you do you you prepare them all yourself? I do everything myself. a one-man show. I do all the marketing. I do the preparation of the food. And our menu is very extensive. We have oyster mushrooms. We have um, an amazing chicken sandwich. a very small menu. It's a quaint menu, but it's, it's it's bold. It's strong. Oyster mushrooms. Do have oyster mushrooms? Yes. Wow. Now you mentioned feedback, and I don't know if you knew we were going to do this, but we assembled some of our WABE colleagues. We have, oh wow yeah we we have we have asked them to, you know, and these are some serious. Oh, it's a taste test. Okay, wow. These are some serious chicken wing folk. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so we have. Mel, and we have Tracy, and we have <laughs> Tori, and we have Chris, and we have Cassie. Basically, it's the marketing and social media doing? people because they, they think, hey, oh, and we have Cher. Oh, look. We all know. Oh, wow. Here come marketing, speaking of marketing. <laughs> okay, well. So we're just going to go around <laughs> the room. Hello, Aisha. <laughs> okay, just, all right, Aisha, you, you got the mic first. What do you think? This is from a true ATL wing connoisseur, mm -hmm. west side of the city, 8 out of 10. Okay. Highly recommend. All Thank right. you. Tori? 8.5. 8.5. Sherry? I was skeptical, and I'm giving you a 9. Oh. These are tasty. They were crunchy in all the right ways. It was fantastic. Oh, yeah. Thank you. But now, I got to tell you, Sherry also said that sweet potato pie and pumpkin pie <laughs> was the same thing. They so I'm not really. We, I just reminded her of that before right. I took her opinion on the wings. Right. And we, they taste the wine. Not that we're going to dismiss your nine, but just. You can't fully trust it. We can't. Just, I'm just I saying. Okay. Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. Cassie? <laughs> what do you think? I give it a nine out of 10. All right. Really Mel? Is Mel's mic on? Oh, thank you. Wow. Oh. And that's not the only 10 you got. Okay. Is Mel, can we hear Mel? You can come over here and use this mic then. Uh, um, so, oh, wait. Did you give it a 10 out of 10? Oh, okay. No. <laughs> Someone else did? I give it a 10 out of 10. Okay. They were so good. All right. Chris. Chris is from New York. All right. So. I'm from New York. And I've spent many years in Buffalo, New York, the wing of 
capital of the world. Oh so I'm somewhat of a win connoisseur myself. Mm-hmm. I'm going with a solid nine out, nine out of ten. All nine right. Out of ten. The texture's on point. Okay. on point. All right. Tracy? I give it an eight and a half. I thought it was very um, very flavorful. My favorite was the jerk, uh, the jerk chicken. Okay. I love the spice. And, yeah, the, bo- the flavors are really bold and just delicious. And the texture is actually really great. Oh, thank you. Are any of you all vegan? No. 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 Oh, wow. Okay. Now, these some yeah, carnivorous folk over here. Were vegan. <laughs> no. okay. these, these, these are some carnivorous folks over here. Okay. They, they, yeah. Real good on you. But yeah. but so Tracy, 8.5 from a meat eater was probably, I don't know, from a vegan probably. <laughs> but no, that, but actually that's good. 8.5 yeah, from beautiful. a meat eater. Um, you know, and, and I know you've had this conversation before and folks say, well, does, if it's vegan, does it automatically mean that it's healthy for me, it's plant-based? That's a whole other conversation, but I know you get that. And what do you tell folks? I tell people, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, you um, avoid a lot of the um, antibiotics that um, a lot of the food is hit with. And then um, our bodies, um, our digestive system doesn't digest meat the same it would things that are plant-based. Yeah. You know? And you get a lot more energy from plant food. You might get full from meat, but the energy that you get, it's all about the energy. You need energy to mm-hmm. do things in life. Where do you see vegan wangs, uh, let's say, a year from now? A year from now? Um, this was my short-term goal to establish the actual um, vegan brand. My mid-term goal is to um, get them in stores, like I was saying, mm-hmm. um, and to kind of partner with different communities. I do that already, actually. I partner with um, one um, community-based um, organization. Um, I think it's called Southwest um, Canopy. Mm-hmm. That's my midterm goal to kind of reach out to the community. Um, my long-term goal is to um, get them in stores, direct to retail. Yeah. So I'm working on that right now, actually. So it's kind of like a long. It's kind of jumping around, long to kind of short-term, mm-hmm. midterm goal. Um, if I had the funds to do that right now, I would do that ASAP. After this segment, who knows? Somebody might send you a check. I've had that happen. I'm not saying it's gonna happen. Numdy, right. I'm just saying. But we wanted to bring you on the program because one, someone has to be the first. So when we hear this is the first in Atlanta, black-owned, you know, vegan chicken wings. And then, and look, for folks who, y'all emailing me, I am not putting you a plate away, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> what y'all think this is? Right. But for you, this is, this is your journey. This is your passion. And this right. is something that, anything beyond wings that you're thinking about. Beyond wings? Yeah, like anything other than chicken wings that you want to put your stamp on. I mean, I know there's cauliflower pizza. That's a whole other conversation. But, right. you know, anything else besides? Uh, in regards to food or yeah, anything it, outside of food? Well, well, okay, food and outside. I mean, it sounds like you got some other stuff so, going on. So in regards to food, yeah, I'm glad you opened that up. In uh, regards to food, um, I do, um, later on, I do want to add a, um, a fish, a vegan fish option. Really? To the menu. Yeah, so I'm kind of playing around with a fish option right now. Uh, I just don't know what the base is going to be. But whatever it is, it's going to be good. I think I'm a very um, serious critic when it comes to food. Yeah. Um, Have you I, ever tried a flavor and you were like, no, nah, I can't put this out there? With the, with the wings? Yeah. Yeah, so teriyaki is one that I tried. So teriyaki is pretty much a staple when it comes to wings. Yeah. Um, but I tried teriyaki. It was just um, – and then teriyaki um, traditionally is made with soy. Mm-hmm. And I want to stay away from soy. So teriyaki is the flavor. I'm trying to think what else. Honey uh, mustard. Really? That's one that I definitely want to do. Yeah. So I haven't done that yet. I think we did a, um, what was it? Was it garlic? I think it was a garlic mango flavor. Mm. And being vegan, a lot of times when you when things are vegan too, it kind of opens the door up for um, to get kind of exotic with different things, flavors and things like mm-hmm. that. But um, for now, it just I'm a very big critic. So if it doesn't pass my um, taste test, I'm not going to do it. You know who else told me that? Pinky Cole. Oh, wow. That okay. too. Yeah. In terms of her being a critic? Well, yeah, of, of her, her own, you know, the, okay. the burgers, you know, the, okay. the slutty vegan burger. She told me that. Uh, from my, my group in here, is there a flavor that you would like for him to try to come up with? Anybody? You can yell it out, male. <laughs> do you have le- lemon pepper? Let's say Atlanta. You got to do lemon pepper. So I have lemon buffalo. Ooh. Oh, we do have lemon buffalo, which will be renamed the Rose Scott. Yes, <laughs> as it should. So that's an ATL I've classic. Had, I've had like buffalo with lemon pepper sprinkles. That's exactly what it is. Oh, that's what I wear at my okay. wing spot all the time. Mm. Lemon yeah, that's an ATL underground oh, classic. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Anything else? I, I'm like teriyaki. 
Teriyaki? Garlic Parmesan. Garlic Parmesan. <laughs> what about you? Sweet. I think you've got all the bases. <laughs> Barbecue hot. Boom, let's go. And the only reason I have it done, just lemon pepper on its own, it doesn't, it doesn't hold right um, mm-hmm. for some reason. I don't know if because it's vegan. Um, not exactly sure. But I did want, initially, I wanted to have just one that was solely lemon pepper. So let might me, revisit it later, but as of now, we're going to stick with the lemon buffalo. Mm-hmm. Now, let me ask you this, because, you know, I, I believe that, you know, when folks have a dream and they should hold on to it, but someone calls you tomorrow and says, you know, Numdi, look, mm-hmm. we're from X Corporation. Yeah. <laughs> we like to just take the Vegan Wang brand and give us a number. <laughs> a number right now? No, they said give us a number to write you a check. Would you do it? Because this is your baby. I mean. Um... For vegan wings, I would still want to stay connected to it, yeah, and somehow, but um, it would just have to make sense, it depends, absolutely. And it's early right now, um, so when things like that are offered to me um, early, I'll be more likely to take it. You know, if it was a two years later where I was a little more established, um, yeah, I would think probably a lot more about it, but right now, I'll be open to it. But would you yeah, like to eventually have a, a sit down? Because right now it's takeout delivery. So yeah. So ideally, so my tagline is taste the experience. Mm-hmm. So I want a brick and mortar so people can come in and just listen to the music, um, get a sense of um, um, experience the wings, even outside of the food, the music, the decor, things like that. All right, that's and what's up. Like I was saying before, I used to live in New York. Live in New York, you know, it's all types of different uh, restaurants there. Um, creativity is uh, expansive there. But um, I would definitely want to do it in Atlanta here. But, um, yes, I definitely want to have a brick and mortar. All right. Namdi Arinzi is the founder and owner of Vegan Wangs. That's W-A-N-G-S. First black-owned plant-based chicken wings restaurant here in Atlanta for takeout and delivery. We'll have a link on our website. Best of luck to you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having for coming me. coming in and taking the time. And thank, thank you so much for our, our taste testers here. <laughs> That's it for this edition of Closer Look. Make sure you log on to closerlook.org. Yeah, that's it, closerlook.org. Or no, wabe.org. See what your wings got me doing? Log on to wabe.org slash closerlook for more. From Atlanta, this is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Sounds Like ATL is a music documentary series that takes an in-depth look at the artists amplifying Atlanta's famed music community. Built around a desire to highlight Atlanta's diverse and world-renowned music scene, each episode features unforgettable, intimate musical performances by fresh new musical guests, each with exclusive interviews about the stories behind their music. Listen at wabe.org or wherever you find your podcasts. Ever wondered where to find the best dumplings in town? Curious about Atlanta's obsession with lemon pepper? Join us on Savory Stories, a new podcast as we uncover the untold tales behind Atlanta's culinary scene. From the roots of your favorite dishes to the creators that bring them to life, we're diving deep into the heart of the city's food culture. Listen to Savory Stories at wabe.org slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. W-A-B-E. 